Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Former President Harry Truman said, It's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. For our guest today, Robert Harrington, this is the key to success in economic development in rural America. Born and raised in rural Missouri, Robert has remained part of rural America his entire life. When he was a boy, his grandmother instilled in him the importance of a hard day's work and giving back to your community. As an economic developer, he's remained committed to following his grandmother's advice. While working as a full-time economic developer across Missouri, Iowa, and Texas, he earned his BS from the University of Phoenix. Most recently, he earned his master's in public administration from Park Hill University. He's also been recognized as a Master Economic Development Practitioner, an MEDP, by the Advanced Economic Development Leadership Program, a collaborative course through the Universities of Clemson, Southern Mississippi, TCU, and New Mexico State. This fall, he will be facilitating an MEDP course on what rural economic development truly is. But most importantly for Robert is his family. He's married to his beautiful and much smarter wife, Catherine, and is the father to four amazing children. Let's dive in. Welcome back. We're here with Robert Harrington. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi, Dane. Thanks for having me. It sounds like you have your fingers in a lot of pies there in your... (laughs) Small town. Uh, I, what, I do, but it keeps me young. Exactly. How big is your team there? So I jokingly tell everybody I have a team of three. So it's me, myself, and I. <laughs> and so it's just me, a small community, a Bourbon County, population about 15,000. Fort Scott's the largest, largest community in that county, a population about 8,000. Most of the manufacturing, most of the jobs are in Fort Scott, Kansas. But yeah, it's just me uh, doing it for the county. For a long time, the county here had a, the city had an economic developer, which they still do at this point. And then the county had one. And so I th- there's been a movement in this county to just kind of merge everything and have one individual do economic development. So that's kind of why I was brought here. We're still working on that process, and it's going to take a while to really get everything going that way. But yeah, it's just me here. And so I'm always busy that because of that. So I can't ask somebody else to do some things. I have to do it myself. But that's good. I like it. I've I'm used to it. In other communities I've worked across the Midwest, I've always been um, my own person, uh, my own staff. So it, I just, I like it. So, Well, I'm glad that you like it. I can imagine that for some people that would be a bit much. I, I don't know if, I don't know how many people go into economic development thinking that eventually they'll be in a position where they are their own staff and they have myself and I as their assistants. Takes a, it takes a special kind of person, I think, to uh, do economic development in that situation. Well, thanks. I, I've always been. My grandmother was a huge inspiration of my life growing up with her. And I was always at grandma's house. And my grandmother owned and operated her own business till she was 87. And it was a what we call today assisted living facility. But back then they called them rest homes. Okay. And she was taking care of people younger than her, washing their hair and 
bathing them and, and clothing them and, and making sure they, they had someone to take care of them. So with her growing with growing up with her, she always told me that you can't sit back and let uh, things happen uh, and just watch them. If you want to see change in the world, you have to get up and do it and, and be part of it. And so I've always lived my life by that. And so that's, I guess, probably one of the reasons why I can do or I like doing things like this by myself. I, it's not that I like doing it by myself, but it's I guess it's that I can do it by myself is a simple fact is that I was always taught to to step up and work hard. And so that's I so I never really think about it, honestly. I have a wonderful wife that deals with a lot of late nights and several meetings a week. And my kids, they know why I'm gone, but you know, it's family and just the raising I had in small town, Missouri, that really made me, I guess, the person I am today. And so other people I can see saying, my goodness, I wouldn't do that. But for me, it's just kind of a lifestyle that I was raised to raised in. So, right. You were raised in and it's the, sort of the lifestyle that you've chosen. So yeah. how did you end up being an economic developer then? Well, the, a funny story. I was a political junkie. I actually ran for state office in Missouri once upon a time and had some background in politics, obviously, and then background in some business and, and business management. And we had our first son and was living in Moberly, Missouri at the time. And my wife told me she didn't want us to, he was, I want to say he's, he was getting ready to go into kindergarten. So about five, I guess, and almost five. And she didn't like, really like the school district there. And so she wanted to, he she wanted to go to a different school district. And so it was between my hometown and her hometown. And we went to her hometown <laughs> and, but they had a position for the first time ever. They were going to do an economic developer. It's small County, Shelby County, Missouri, 6,800 people. I mean, it's very tiny, but I applied for it and, and I got it just for the connections I had and things in that. And so that's where I started in a small rural community in Northeast Missouri. I had some great teachers. Gordon Ibsen is one of them. Worked for Northeast Power, really took me under his wing and kind of taught me economic development to begin with. I went through the OUEDI training, the Heartland Basic Economic Development training. So I got some more education there. That's I started, I decided that I was also going to go back to school because if I wanted my kids to go to college, I said that I needed to finish my college degree as well. So I started doing that. And then then I moved to, so I was there two years and then a gentleman by the name of Rob O'Brien was in Joplin. And I, I, was, I reached out, was reached out by him and another gentleman, Gary Bax, and they said, Rob, hey, um, there's an opportunity in Barton County, Missouri. They're looking for somebody to start an organization here. We know you started one up there, told them that you would do, we thought you'd do a good job and want you to apply. And so went there and really learned most of most of all my teaching was from probably Rob O'Brien, Kevin Welch, Gary Bax, and the and the group that's in the Joplin region area there. I learned a lot. And in that time, you have to understand during that time, I was there between 2010 and, and, and 12. And you had the Joplin tornado during that time. So I learned really how to deal through with Rob on how to deal with, with disasters and how to learn. You had to on your toes. It's not every day something like that happens. And so it changes your entire world. Your calendar completely changes for the next two, three months, right? And so you have to learn how to deal with that. Now, it wasn't my community, but we all came together as a region and really helped Rob and the community of Joplin. And 
So I had that. And then that's when I really started working on marketing. We had some sites. And so I was able to really start working some projects and had a lot of help from Mr. Welch and Mr. O'Brien on that. And so I really got into economic development and it, it, I guess I got bit by the bug. Then I loved it. And I knew that this was something I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So by happenstance, and I think that's most of our story, it was like, I never grew up telling myself I was going to be an economic developer, right? It was just something I kind of fell into and I've loved it ever since. And so I've been doing it. It'll be 14 years in February. Wow. Congratulations. That's an accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. So being in a small town, being a one-man shop, having your fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah. I've had similar experience. And in my experience, they uh, ultimately ran me out of town. You've (laughs) been doing this for 14 years. What's your secret? Well, jokingly, I will tell you that in an economic development profession, and especially if you're going to do it in small town America, rural America, you always have an updated resume. It's just part of it. I I hate to say that, but it's the truth. And in small communities, especially when budgets get and there's decisions that need to be made, it's really easy to say, okay, let's get rid of the economic developer. Because Because economic development for the longest time was just the guy that went out and chased smokestacks, right? Well, our our only job was to go out and find new business and bring in jobs or help local business expand and create jobs. And so it's really easy to say, okay, well, we don't have the money to incentivize. We don't have the money to really have any type of programs to help with these job creations. So why are we paying a guy to do it? So or a person to do it, I should say. And so it's very easy for smaller towns to, to give that up. And again, it's, uh, another thing, it, it's going back to budgets. It's in, in our industry, in this day, it's economic developers and, and what we're worth, I guess, is a hard thing to pinpoint too. What right. is a, a good salary for an economic developer starting out? What's a good salary for one that has five years experience, 10 years? There's really, I know IEDC has done surveys after surveys, but the number is so scattered that it's very hard to pinpoint, okay, what is this job worth for us to pay? And so, especially when you get into a smaller town, it's hard to justify paying somebody $82,000 a year when a majority of the people who live in your community don't make half of that. Right. And so, are economic developers worth that much? Yeah. And I would say there's a lot of us out there that are worth more. I'm not one of them, but there are a lot of individuals out there that that have years and decades of experience and they're worth every penny. I think we're all worth what we get, but it's just tough. And so I just tell people, you, you have to have, you have to be prepared for the day when a city administrator or your board president or somebody walks in and goes, Hey, it's just not working out or, hey, we, we had to make some changes in the budget and we're going to have to let you go. You, you, those days are not fun days. And as you just said earlier, you've been asked to be, uh, leave before and, and I have as well. The the dreaded uh, the dreaded quote of we need you to resign, right? right. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to fire you. We need you to quit. And, and so uh, I would just say anybody that listens to this podcast that's in the business, just starting, wanting to get in the business, you, you have to have tough skin and you have to be prepared to think on your feet and know that if that day does come, there's other communities out there. This field is 
I don't think ever going to go away. It's changing, in my opinion, and we can get it more into that and and throughout the episode here. But so it's ever changing, and so always continue to educate yourself in this field. Never stop learning. Never stop reaching out and networking. But you always have to be prepared for that day when you got to move on. And if you have families too, uh, have that conversation because it's, it's a tough job, uh, a tough thing. When you go to your kids and say, hey, we're going to move again. And they're like, but dad, I've got friends here. And I, I know I understand that, but it's tough, but uh, you get through it. And uh, if you love economic development the way I do, I think the way you do, Dane, you just kind of move on and, and then you recreate yourself. So. Well, I think that's excellent advice. And for anyone that's listening that has had that happen to them or that potentially be in a position where this does happen to them in the future, they have to know that this has happened to all of us. And if it hasn't happened to all of us yet, it will eventually happen to all of us. And you kind of have to be prepared. But more importantly, you have to know that really it's not about you. At the end of the day, unless you've done something horribly wrong and you know that, mm-hmm. it most of the time it's not about you personally. Yeah. It's some other issue. Yeah, in in our uh, industry, Dane, politics is a big deal, and Absolutely. mayors change, governors get changed, city councils change over, uh, county boards of commissions change over, and so with any change, you have to be prepared. Uh, a mayor that's all about economic development and thinks it's the number one issue of a community could lose an election, and the new guy is like, our roads are more important, and so I want to spend more money on public works and community development and things like that. So the economic developer needs to go. And yeah, you're right. It's not personal. It never is personal. It's just how it is. And and for those of us that's ever worked in government, same thing, right? Administrations change, leadership change. And okay, when the new guy gets here, I may need to look for a job and uh, go out, buy yourself a couple new suits and start looking on the internet, look at IEDC, look at your local economic development organization, state organizations, your surrounding state organizations, get on those pages and, and, and find something you think you'd be good at and be prepared. And just always be prepared for that day because it, it may come. And, and I will tell you, there's a lot of us that will tell you people that's been in the business 30 years and they might've been in 10 different communities, right? It just, it had happens. And so you just got to be prepared for it. So all good advice. Yep. Let's talk about why I brought you on the show. You mm-hmm. had posted uh, something about a hospital reopening or potentially reopening in your community. Yeah. I know that's a big issue. I know that the small community that I worked in had a hospital. It was very small. And I know that, it was in California, and there was something about they had to rebuild all the buildings that weren't up to earthquake code or all the hospitals that weren't up to earthquake code by some date. So there was sort of a deadline that this hospital was going to be demolished, and they were going to have to build a new one, and they were going to have to come up with some money to do that. And I know that across the country, we have uh, rural hospitals are closing at a sort of unprecedented rate. So to hear that there's a possibility that a local rural hospital could reopen really piqued my interest. So tell me about that. Sure. So Fort Scott had a hospital owned by Mercy, the Sisters of Mercy uh, system. And it closed back in, I want to say, 2019. The reasons, I mean, we can go into a million reasons why the hearsay, the, what the hospital said, you know, what people locally say, we can go into that. But at the end of the day, the hospital closed. And uh, and as well as I do in any of the communities you look at today, 
the thriving communities and the growing communities along with them is a thriving healthcare or a growing healthcare system, right? And probably more important today due to the pandemic and the problems we are seeing today than than before, but still, it's always been an important piece because when you begin to have children, you want to be close to emergency rooms and stuff because your kids play sports and they break arms. And dad, I fell off the, the, the jungle gym and broke my arm. And so you want to make sure you're close to healthcare for them. But then my father, that's another individual. My father, he lived close to me in Missouri. We're moving him back. We're moving him to Kansas with me to be close here. But, you know, you want your parents to be, if they're close, to have health care and somebody to check and take care of them. And then just yourself. At some point in time, things are going to happen and you want to make sure that you're, you have access to great, affordable and quality health care. Well, and that's every American. And so, and those, and, and let's, you go farther, that's the businesses too, because their employees have to have access to those health cares. There's insurance rates influenced by how close they are to an emergency room, how close they are to a hospital. And so at the end of the day, it's a bottom dollar thing for businesses. And so, so when I moved to Fort Scott, I, I looked at myself, I was writing stuff down and talking about, okay, what can we start working on that make the most immediate impact to the community? And the hospital was, it just kept standing out to me as like, well, there's a, here's a brand new building was built in 2002. So it's not brand new, but it's literally 10 years. It's pretty new. Yeah. Yeah, It's pretty new. And, or excuse me, 2012, maybe it was built. Anyway, it's pretty new. It's huge building and they still have a up and running emergency room with a partnership with a hospital from the South, but that hospital obviously sends everybody or that emergency room sends everybody to the mother hospital, which is 30 miles south. So you see an excerpt of dollars. People do their shopping in there and they got to go to the doctor back down there. So people are always heading south. And if they don't head south, they go north. And so I said, by bringing the hospital back, not only are you recovering a healthcare amenity, and but you're also going to create jobs with new nursing and, and high paying jobs. You're going to create healthcare tourism or medical tourism, which with people coming back into town to do, go to see the doctor and, and, and be looked at. They do the shopping here and stuff. So, it, it, and the sales tax, and then obviously the payroll, and those people are going to spend dollars here. So, it was a huge piece of the economy. And so I said, let's see what we can do. And so sometimes in our business, it's not what went to you and the connections you've made over the over your life. And so I knew a gentleman uh, that owned a company that had recently bought two hospitals in Missouri. And he actually linked in me and said, hey, uh, congratulations on the new job. And I said, I'm glad you linked in me. I have a question for you. Would you be interested in um, coming and taking a look? And I think out of just the relationship him and I have, he said, yeah, I'll look, but I'll be completely honest. And for those of that are listening to this is something that's not done. This is, you do not reopen a hospital in a rural community. It's just not done anymore. It's very hard. It's very expensive. The optics are hard to recover from the old ownership and, and the fact that they closed and they left us. And so it's something that's never done. So when they were coming down here, they thought, well, we're just going to look because I know Rob, uh, I'm going to do him the courtesy of looking and then I'll, you know, let him down easy. Uh, like, yeah, we're not interested or we can't, we don't feel this, this can be done. Well, amazingly enough, they came down and they started looking and they saw some of the pieces that are very dire. 
when a hospital closes. The fact that the building is not that old, that it was taken care of, that was in good shape. There's still a few things that need to be fixed, but not terribly bad. That there was still an emergency room presence and that the county had kept the ambulance service alive. And so growing a manufacturing community college, it, there was there were the factors here that they look at and they're like, this actually is not this is, I don't think this is out of question. And so they went back and hammered some numbers together. And so now we're in the process of the county has stepped up in the city of Fort Scott to help fund a feasibility study to find out if it's feasible. We feel like it will be, but that's three or four months down the road. Hopefully one day you'll see on LinkedIn when I post new hospital opening, we're looking forward to that. But it really was just, I tell everybody, sometimes it's better to be lucky than <laughs> Right, uh, And I guess in this case, we were. It took vision from a community to say, hey, we're not out of it. We can do this. It took the company saying, hey, I think this could happen. And then it just out of the box thinking, I guess. And in the end of the day, rule, economic development, that's what it has to be. You can't, there is no um, book that tells you what to do in situations like this. And sometimes you just got to leap. And uh, that's what we did. And so we, we hope, again, that it's positive, that it comes back, that we can reopen our hospital. Uh, all signs are pointing that way, but we still got a lot of work to do. But it's kind of just in a nutshell how it happened. But we're excited. That's an incredible story. And you really have to give yourself some credit. I mean, you were, <laughs> had you not known someone who purchased and developed, redeveloped hospitals, this never would have happened. Yeah. And I do economic development a little differently, mainly probably because it, from my rural background and where I've been in rural, there, there's never a project that I say can't be done uh, until I know it can't be done, right? Until I know for a fact. And so we, we were able to do, uh, we did a uh, high-speed internet to the home in the last community I was in. And they said a, a municipality can't own high-speed internet and, and do what we did. And they are hooking people up today with one gigabyte speeds to the home and the, to the business. So I've been told you can't open a technical center in a town of that's smaller than 5,000 people. And we did it in a town of 2,100 people. And the school is... Have, they're starting to do welding classes and CNA classes, and there's talk of doing more medical classes to that will help keep their small rural hospital going and help some of their manufacturers. So it, you just can't say it's impossible. And again, I'll, I'll go back to my grandmother. That's how I was raised. And never let anybody tell you something can't be done. Go out, try it. Try to make it work. And if you can't, but at least they can't say you didn't try. And so that's me. And so that's what we continue to do here. So that's incredible. That Everything you just said is absolutely incredible. And I'm really surprised. And now maybe this is my sort of urban bias, but that you haven't been recruited out of the rural areas into where there are more resources, more assets. Why do you think you're still, other than maybe a love of living the rural yeah. lifestyle, why, why rural? Why are you so excited about it? I guess part of it is because of my background and, and where I came from. But, you know, there there's a part of me uh, that loves when I took this job before, you know, the, you always get the question in the interview, what to you, what is economic development to you? What is a success 
you know, story or what is it to you? I tell the same story because I think this is where part of it, I think this is where our industry maybe as a whole has kind of lost our way in a way. But I, I know that in smaller communities for sure, but I said, my job isn't to bring the Toyota plant to town. My job isn't to make sure we have brand new sidewalks downtown or streets and or the best water quality or new park. My job in the end of the day, and this is how I see it, is that right now there's a guy here in, in Bourbon County. He wakes up every morning, he looks in the mirror, and he wonders how he's going to pay his bills. He's got kids that are sick. He's got a wife that works very hard or can't find a job or whatever the reason, but the for some reason, they're struggling. And and my job is to give that guy hope. And my job is to work hard as much as hard as I can to make sure that one day that guy wakes up and he goes into the bathroom and he's got a big smile on his face because he knows that he can pay his mortgage. He can pay his light bill. He can take care of his family and he can walk with his head held high and know that he is able to take care of what's most precious to him. That's my job. And, and I think that's our job as economic developers. And at the end of the day, our job is to create hope in a community. It's not just to get our face on the cover of our local paper or a magazine or to, to climb a corporate ladder as fast as we can. Our job is to, and again, this is my opinion, our job is to create hope and generate positive, generate and make a community grow again. And so that's, I don't know that I see that in rural areas more. I, I see how the impact of uh, the small community, if I was to work in and say, I'll just pick Seattle. If I was into work in Seattle and I had a gentleman come into my office says, I want to open a shop of 10 people to make widgets. I, and I've never worked in the, uh, Seattle, so I can't say this is to be true for sure, but you know, when he said 10 jobs, it was already out of, we don't attract 10 jobs. Right. We don't we're bother working. with projects that are that small. Yeah. Right? We're working on the Amazons, the Apples, the the Elon Musk's, the next thing, whatever it is. That That's what bigger cities are working on. They're trying to help their major corporations, their headquarter operations. And, and that's understandable. But here, if a gentleman walks in my door and says, um, hey, I'm going to close my shop my carpet shop or my bike shop that has 15 employees, if I can't figure out a way to lower my electric bill, that's a big deal. 15 jobs is a big deal. And so right. there's, I guess to me, there's more, a little bit of more uh, satisfaction in knowing that I can help that man and those 15 people live a life that they want to live just by working and being here and doing the job that I want to do and I'm asked to do. So I, I'm not I'm not Gandhi by no means, and I'm not saying I am or whatever. I just, I grew up poor. I saw my dad work really hard to barely get by. And I don't, I want to make sure other people don't have to feel that. Dodging the bill collectors at the door, not answering the phone because you're worried the, the somebody's calling you. I'm hoping that, gosh, you can keep your lights on one more day. It, it's tough out there. And so my job is to make sure that we can do something different here in Bourbon County to make it not so tough. So That was inspiring. That was very good. I don't say this so much now that I'm in an urban area. Yeah. But when I was in the rural area, I said it was my job to work really hard to make sure that the people in that community didn't starve to death. 
and maybe that was a little more extreme version of what you just said. But I mean, what you said really hit me. I really can appreciate that and understand that. And there is definitely something to that. You feel like what you're doing has more of an impact, even though it's less dollars. It's, yeah. you know, more of a direct impact. It, it, it's just nice. I mean, some days it's just, and don't get me wrong, some, in bigger cities and this too, in bigger cities, sometimes it's, it's better because everybody doesn't, you can walk by a person and they don't know you're the guy that didn't give the incentive to the Ford plant that just laid me off, right? In right. small towns, right. guess what? They know that's you. And why didn't you fight harder to keep my company open? Or why didn't you? So it, it, there are negatives to live in a small community, but I just, the positives, in my opinion, and greatly outweigh what the negatives are. And I didn't jump into this career to get rich. And I don't think any of us do, but it's just, it's very nice. It's just great to see what we can do in our profession and, and the good we can make and, and create. And that's why I love it so much. So let's talk about, I guess, the future. Are you, are you excited about the future? Do you think that the country's in a good place, especially our rural areas moving forward? Are things changing, especially post-pandemic, post the start of this decoupling from China? What are you thinking? What are you seeing going forward? You know, great question. And honestly, if I had the answer for that, maybe I would be working in an urban area getting paid a lot. But no, great question. Economics changed, economic development's changed so much in 14 years. So, Oh my goodness. Wow. So when I started back in 2008, seems like a century ago, but just 14, there was, there was a real surge of, I mean, it was all about that next big project, right? It was that big attraction project. It was, that's what we always heard about. We would go to our state conferences and we'd hear people talk about, oh man, we're, we got to the finals on that big project for a thousand jobs, or we got here, we got there. And obviously there wasn't the labor shortages and stuff we have now. It was a problem then it was going to be a problem. And then that's a whole now, that's a huge story on its own, but but yet we weren't feeling the effects of it yet. And so probably if somebody would have been able to say, hey, you guys probably need to start paying t- attention to this now, it, it might not be as big of a problem now today as it was, but hindsight's 2020, right? So right. We're, more, we're so concentrated and, and so worried about site selection and, oh, we got, we've got to have sites for the big projects. We've got, to, we've got to do this to get the projects. We've got to make sure we reach out and we got to go talk to all the site selectors. And I mean, we didn't do this. We didn't do Zooms. We didn't do, I mean, it was, you went out right. and shook hands and you, you, and, and so fast forward a few years and, and then, then we kind of got away with that and then be economic entrepreneurship and, and, and business retention really took a hold of the industry. And we figured out that most of your jobs that you create in a community are from companies you already have and, or companies that are homegrown. Right. And so we really started to foster that and start working in that arena. And, and now we've got to a point where we don't market to companies anymore. I mean, look at what Nashville is doing, Kansas City, places like Atlanta, Charlotte. Their marketing campaigns now, all their money is being used to market and attract people. We're not even trying to attract the businesses anymore. We're trying to attract people. And so now... The industry is really about placemaking and what can we do to create a, t- a location, a community, 
that is a place that people want to live and work and visit and play in. And what's that? What are those pieces? And those communities are doing great job with that. But what I see, especially on the rural side of that, is that in rural America, we've seen a mass exodus, right? We've seen kids whose parents said, I don't want you to live the way I've lived. I want you to go to college, get a degree. And so we've seen this huge brain drain over the course of the last decade, right? Leave and and migrate to the urban areas and urban areas have bled over to the suburban areas. And and hence you've seen communities like Nashville and Kansas City and Charlotte just explode. Raleigh, uh, North Carolina is another one. Some of these bigger university towns, Austin, I mean, that that's one to, and, and Texas, they've really grown up and exploded because of this push of, hey, let's send our kids away. And in rural America, I will say rural America, because I don't, I think it's a, I don't think it's a Midwest problem. I think it's a coast to coast problem, north to south problem. What we did is we, we told them to go to college, but we never thought they wouldn't come back. And when they didn't come back, we said, well, okay, well, they're always going to stay there. And so small town America did not decided, and not all of them, but some of them decided they're never going to come back. So why do we need to change our community? Let's leave it the way it's always been because it's good for us. And that's where we failed. The leadership decision back then to say, okay, we're not going to, we're not going to create a different kind of place to attract those people back. We're just going to deal with the fact they left. And so in here in Fort Scott, I would, I proudly say, and it had nothing to do with me, but they didn't do that. They've really kept up. Their downtown's amazing. They've got some great amenities, uh, great restaurants, a brewery, just some, just some amazing things going on. But, you know, The problem is not all communities did that. And so today, economic development in rural America has to be, you have to make two choices. You're either going to be a retirement community for the next several years and watch as your population dies off and fades off, or you're going to be a community that says, okay, uh, we're going to create something different. We're going to create a, a new Fort Scott, a new Marceline, where I'm from, a new this, and change the way we do things so we can young Americans here, but also attract more people here. And so that that's what I've seen over the 14 years, Dane, is just the difference between how and what we market. And I don't think that's going to change. I really don't. I think we're going to keep seeing the attraction of people become a more, even more significant in economic development. Um, than than it is today. I I really think because of what's going on with labor, we have to have people that'll fog a mirror. I mean, we just have to. We can't get past that. And, and so, how do we do that? And you're not going to get next generation workers if you don't have things to do, things to visit, affordable housing, and, and sometimes just like rental places. I know a lot of people younger than me who. They don't want to mow a yard. Give me a good apartment complex where everything's furnished and I'll live there for the rest of my life. And so in small towns, you don't get those apartment. You don't have high rise apartments. You've got single family homes with big yards and big lots. And that was great for, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But you know, the 20 somethings that we want to come work here don't. And so we've got to, right. You have to adjust. 
Yeah, we've got a, we've got a cultural change on our hands in small town rural uh, America, and if we don't act now, these small communities that we love are are not going to be here. Everybody's going to be living in the suburbs, and metros are going to get bigger. And and I don't, I hope not. I don't think that's the way because I think COVID is changing that a little bit because people are trying to get out of densely populated areas and out of the, that situation. So I think there's an opportunity for a rural resurgence. It's just we've got to act on it now or we're going to lose it. You got to strike when the iron's hot. And right now the iron's hot. So Robert, excellent description of what it looks like on the ground. Your perspective, I think, is spot on. Thanks. If, if there's anything that we've seen that's come out of this, I think, that should be on the, at the top of all economic developers' minds is that the employees are in charge. The workforce is now in charge, and yeah. now we need to do all that we can in our communities to to attract them. And whether that means marketing to them, whether that means changing our communities so that it better serves them, making it more accepting, and just all of that. Yeah, and, and businesses need to to kind of. I think some of our co companies and our businesses need to really think about that too, because look at. And again, these are tech companies, but some of them are. I mean, there there are some manufacturing companies out there doing this as well, changing the culture of that. You get, they're putting walking paths and they have outdoor eating areas. And it's not the, hey, let's run and sit in the, a crowded workroom and break room and eat your fast food or whatever. I mean, there's companies that are, I mean, even manufacturing companies that, I mean, you're literally able to go and there's a restaurant there, a little grill, and you can eat your salads and they've got all this. You can pick from it. You come in at 10, you leave at seven. It's not eight to five Monday through Friday anymore. Or you come in and work Saturday, Sunday, Monday or whatever. It's a culture thing. And I think the companies that change the way they do business too is really going to need to change things. I mean, it's really going to affect how we how some of these communities work because our fathers went to work and they worked all day, eight to five, Monday through Friday, 30 minute lunches. You clocked in, you clocked out. That's how it was, right? And that's, that's how it was. You beat the hammer or in my dad's, my dad worked for the city. So, I mean, he dug ditches and things like that. But, but anyway, and then nowadays, that's not how, that's not how it is anymore. I mean, it really, I mean, you got vending machines and coffee, you right. got baristas and stuff. And, and, and you think it's crazy. But that's the work for that's what the workforce, I guess, of today kind of expects in a way. And if we don't change, like I, again, I'm a history buff, but I can't think of who said this. But you know, if we continue to repeat, if we don't look back at history, we're doomed to repeat it or whatever. So we've got to we've got to change the way we do things. And and so we're trying to do that here in Fort Scott, I know for sure. And I really hope that we can. I really hope rural communities across America see this and hear this because I, I, I'm not doing anything amazing or special here. I'm just taking advantage of the opportunities that, that are given to me. And I think that can be replic replicated in every small town uh, across this country. We just need to, there's a way to do it in your community. It might be different than the way I did it in my community, but there's a way to do it in your community and you guys know the best of that best. And so don't be afraid to say, hey, we're going to try this. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you got to try it. You got to try. Yeah, you got to do something. Yep. So, Robert, if any of our listeners want to reach out to you for some help or some assistance or to pick your brain a little bit, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? 
So yeah, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and, and I know you've liked my profile and, and you're following me and I'm following you. So LinkedIn's a great one. They can reach me through email. My email is bedco2020 at Gmail. So that's B as in boy, E as in Edward, D as in David, C as in Charles, O as in Oscar, 2020 at Gmail. Those are the probably the best ways to reach me. And I would be more than happy to, to anybody that reaches out because I, I really do have a passion for rural economic development. I, I think it's life-changing. It's not just your ordinary put a suit on, go to work and go home type thing. It's really, it's it changes people's lives. And so that's why I love it so much. I will tell you, there is a great program. Uh, I'm going to do a little a little self-indulgence here, I guess. There's a program called the Advanced Economic Development Leadership Program. Neil Wade is his name. He runs the program out of Alabama. He works with the University of Southern Mississippi, Clemson, TCU, and New Mexico University. Those are the four partnering universities. It's a great program, and I get to facilitate a rural economic development class in that in Kansas City coming up in November. I think they still have spots available, so if that's something you're interested in, uh, look that up. It's a great class and I loved it and I attended it. It's two weeks, one week in the winter and one week in the spring. And so it, it's a great class. And so a lot of, you learn a lot there too, but we're going to have a really great discussion about rural economic development and why it is way different than urban economic development and why it has to be too. So Why it has to be. Yeah. I will, I'll put this in the show notes, the link to sign up for that or to get more information for that. And I'm going to tell everybody I know that's a rural economic developer that they should come take your class because if you, they if they can have this for what you and I've had for the last hour for a week, I think that would be phenomenal. Well, Dane, I just, I'm glad you asked me to do this. I am honored. You guys, you got a great show here. I watch it. Uh, I keep track of your posts and stuff. Um, oh, thank you. And uh, follow it, follow this guy on LinkedIn. You won't be sorry. Some of your articles and stuff that you bring up too are just great articles. And so great job, Dane. I appreciate it. This needed to be done a long time ago too, by the way. Just getting information about our industry out there is a big step to letting people know and expanding it. So thank you very much for doing what you're doing. Well, you're welcome. And I hope that the hospital is successfully reopens. And I hope that when it does, you'll come back on and we can talk about how you made it through that process. Or I guess even if it doesn't, yeah. let's hope not. But even if it doesn't, that would be good to come back and talk about what, what went wrong and whatnot. But we'd love an update. Well, yeah, you get it. And Dane, you're more than what we could do a live broadcast from the newly minted <laughs> Urban County Hospital. I love it. I, I will absolutely do that. I will come up for that. And I'll buy lunch so we can do Good. it. I'll, Good. Give, I'll give you an audience and everything. But hey, All thanks right. again for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I can't uh, wait. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you later. Yep. You too. Bye. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com. 